0: Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the SCANA studio today are Dr. Jenny Stevens, who is Executive Director of the Center for Heirs Property Preservation, and Ms. Marguerite DeLane, who is a volunteer with the organization and has also been a client in terms of trying to protect her family's inheritance. So ladies, welcome to the journal.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: Dr. Stevens, why don't we go about explaining what is aired property or heirs' property? Heirs' property? Property? Well, I must always start by saying I'm not an attorney, so I'm not
1: providing you legal advice. But um, our definition of heirs' property is land that has been passed down without a will, or the family members of the deceased person did not probate the estate within the 10 years allotted by South Carolina law. Therefore, the family owns it jointly. You, if you want to think about it, it's like a corporate status. They own shares in the land, but not a particular piece. And each member has the right to do what they would like with their share.
0: Now, that, that gets complicated if, let's just say, we're talking about, well, you use a, a round figure, a 100-acre farm or a 50-acre farm. And back at the turn of the 20th century, it belonged to one individual, and he had X number of children, Mm-hmm. And then they had children. So now we're getting to the 21st century. You might be four generations. There could be 100 heirs. Is that or right? more. Or, or Yeah, or, or more. more. Or more. Yes.
1: So because agreement is very important, the way we resolve heirs' property, um, it can become challenging because you're going to need the input of those individuals to decide how to peaceably resolve the heirs' property issue.
0: Well, given the fact that, for example, in South Carolina after World War I, there was a huge outmigration of African Americans to all parts of the country, and I guess somebody could parachute in from Chicago and say, hey, this is part of my inheritance, is that sort of thing? Um,
1: it, it can happen because, uh, as you said, because people have not been connected with their families in a while, or maybe they didn't attend the family reunions that um, occur, they oftentimes don't know that they actually own a share in heirs' property. Um, So when they are approached about selling their share or their interest, they may quickly say, oh, I'll take the money. But what they don't realize is the impact that they're having on the individuals who currently live on the land.
0: So let's just say one of the heirs is approached by an individual who says, "I'll buy your share," mm-hmm. and that person has in mind building a hotel or something else. That then gives him legal status to challenge the other heirs, does it not?
1: Yes, basically, that company or that individual become the newest member of the family, and therefore they have the same rights as the other members of the family. Um, One of the stories that happened prior to the center's inception, um, it was published in a local newspaper, and it was about Johnny Rivers and his sister, and there were about 20 other folk in the family. And the sister wanted, she approached her brother, who lived on the property, that she wanted her share. She wanted him to buy her out. And the brother thought that because she didn't live on the property and because she didn't pay the property taxes, she really didn't have a right to the land or the money from the land. But she did, and he did not really understand that. And so she did file a lawsuit against the other 20 individuals who owned the land, and ultimately that um, acreage waterfront marshfront whichever way you want to look at it 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 went up for sale you know this is land that had been in their family for over 100 years but there was a lack of understanding about what heirs property ownership was and how to resolve it
0: this is is by the way true all across the state? People seem to associate it generally with the Low Country and African Americans, but in rural areas it can affect anybody. Yes. At the turn of the century, if you ha- if you were a hard scrabble farmer in Greenville County, you probably didn't have a will, and things weren't probated. But it it, it is associated, and your center deals with uh, what a six county area in the Low Country.
1: Well, we. Currently provide the full array of legal services in seven coastal counties, and we have recently added eight where we're providing limited legal services. Um, and so, for us, um, since in the center began as an organization in two thousand and five, and since its inception, it has resolved title to land valued at more than. million, and that's tax assessed value. Um, So our point is, look at how much wealth is locked up in this asset. You're right, people didn't know, know, what do you do when your loved one dies? How do you know that? How do you know what to do? And individuals, really, they didn't have access to the legal system, or they just did not know what to do when their loved one passed. But now they would say, hey, Joe, you've got the piece of land by the road. Bill, you've got the land by the tree. However, because it wasn't in writing, it wasn't valid.
0: In the case you mentioned earlier, that individual probably had been paying property taxes all those years and not collecting anything from the others.
1: That often happens. That happens. Yeah. That happens all the
2: time. As a matter of fact, it's happening in... In my family now,
0: Miss <laughs> Delane, how much can you talk about your family situation? Ah, uh, pretty much. All right. Well, let's 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 have the story because it sounds to me as this this is something that that folks would like to hear. It might help better understand the problems.
2: Well, now in my case, it was not that. We didn't have, my, our, my parents didn't leave a will because they did. My father had a will that gave everything to my mother in case of his death before her or vice versa. And my father did die five years before my mother. She started the process. When, when he died, she started the process. Unfortunately, she had a stroke and was unable to complete the process. After she died, well, everyone is grieving, and we were not. Basically, paying attention. And unfortunately, I think that that is what happens with a lot of these cases. No one is really paying attention. Uh, Everything is kind of moving along. Dad and mom had been taking care of everything. And so the others of us going on, we're working, we're taking care of our families and whatever. And no one was paying attention. Uh, The sister who was supposed to be the executor just didn't um, complete it. Anyway, the 10 years passed. So at one point I heard about the foundation at a church conference but it was not in my county which is Clarington at that point but I called and I said well perhaps they can point me in a direction that I can get some help. The four sisters were all that's left and we are getting older. We needed to secure this property for our children and surviving children and grandchildren and whatever. So I was seeking a, a means by which to do that. We did check with a lawyer, but his prices were so high that we couldn't afford it. Anyway, I made a con- the contact with the, the um, center. I was told that I could get legal advice. So I went down and met with the attorney and he, they told me what I needed to bring, and I had most of
0: that. What did you have okay, to bring? Okay, I
2: had the deeds to the property that were in my parents' names, of course. I had the will. I had the, the um, plats. Uh, I had that information readily available. There had been a lawsuit during my father's time to determine who actually would own the land because there was a little squabbling between my, my my father had like 15 siblings. And there had been, a, some of them were living in Michigan. Um, some were living in, most were living in South Carolina, but North Carolina, Michigan, and they needed to settle it. So there was a lawsuit. And so when I took that information and Mr. Walden found out that there was a there had been a lawsuit. He said, "I need everything about the lawsuit so I can know exactly how it was settled." Well, that was not readily available in my county, so I ended up having to come to Columbia, and going out to the um, state archives, mm-hmm. and then getting some help with it because it was it was not. I don't think it was even listed in our county. It was listed in. I can't remember whether it was Sumter County or Florence County, but it was listed. It was recorded in another county. But we found it, and I took that with me to him. When he got that information, then he went to work. But because it had been opened already by my mother, it was not as difficult as one that had not been opened at all. So what he had to do was complete it. But even that, with the paperwork that had to be filed, with the legwork, which I readily and, and gladly uh, gave because I would have preferred to look it up myself than to hire somebody to do that, we were able to complete that process, in a, and it was about two years.
0: Two, two years.
1: About two years to complete that process. Um. And, I just like to interject. Even though her case or her situation, her family situation, w- wasn't the norm, but the net effect is the same. They could not maximize the use of that land because it didn't have clear title, and that's the um, you know that is what we're we're looking at. The fact that people have an asset, but really the asset is a liability because you're paying property taxes but how are you using the land?
0: All right. I, I heard the, the, the statement, 10 years. What does that have to...?
1: That's the state law in relation to probating an um, estate. Okay. Um, you have actually 10 years where you could really do the probate by yourself without an attorney, but they don't encourage you to do that, but you can. But after that day after the 10 years, You're going to have to have an attorney, and the judge is the only one who can say, take the deceased person's name off of the current deed and put it in the name of the living based upon how state law says it should be allocated.
0: Okay. All right. So that's where you had the historic deeds, and it still had your mother's name on it? My father. Your father's name on
2: it. Right. And the estate of Louis Delaney was still on it. Okay. and the uh, taxes will all pay it in the estate of Louis Delay.
0: Okay. All right. I, I, the clear title, um, Dr. Stevens, I think when you talk about it, you develop it, and I know that's one of your programs is to, for better use, for example, forestry, Ms. Mm-hmm. Delane, on, right. on, on, on your property. But let's look at, at some of the natural disasters we've had in this state in the last few years the terrible flooding that occurred two years ago, Hurricane Matthew. If you suffer damage, if, if my home is damaged, I can apply for a FEMA grant, but don't I have to have title to that?
1: Yes, because yes. you always have to prove yes. ownership. And you can't do that with heirs' property without going through a legal process. And usually by the time, because you heard Ms. Delane said, her case took two years and it wasn't as complicated so by the time the deadline for fema applications have occurred you there's nothing you can really do so families are left with their homes in disrepair because they don't have clear title
0: what about the community that got flooded out with matthew are you dealing with anybody uh,
1: in our uh, service area, I think it's it's Georgetown, which was heavily hit, and also Berkeley County.
0: All right. Well, Dr. Stevens, you're you're not an attorney, but obviously from Miss Delane talking about her case, you do have attorneys who work with the center.
1: Yes, the center has three full time attorneys on staff. And they're providing the legal education, which we conduct in communities, and they're also processing, um, helping to draft wills for individuals, and they're um, managing the legal cases that our clients are having.
2: I'd like to interject, too, that the center has seminars at least, what, three times a year, four times a year? The far in diff- two workshops? Yeah, <laughs> in different areas in the counties in which they serve. What that does is give you an education as to what you need to do and the the processes as well as help that you can get from other agencies. My point for bringing this up is that anyone can actually attend these
0: workshops the workshops you've got what you now said a seven-county area right
1: it's a little larger than that there are seven legal counties if if you don't mind may i have a minute to kind of give you some background surely so the center's mission is about protecting heirs property and promoting the sustainable use of land so that it could generate wealth for families and we do that through three buckets of work It's the prevention bucket. It's about preventing the growth of heirs' property and preventing the loss of heirs' property. And those tools are the legal seminars. We actually have attorneys who will go out into the community and they're providing legal education. Those seminars are often held at schools. They're often held at churches, wherever the community um, congregates. And they also help draft wills for individuals because that's one of the primary ways that heirs property is generated. And then last but not least, if land is a major asset, they're probating those individuals' estates. Then there's a resolution bucket. And we kind of talked about it earlier, that 10-year period thing. Once you're past the 10-year period, you're going to have to have legal intervention. So there are two things that are key that we're providing under the resolution bucket. That is um, bringing about family agreement. And we know that's always tough. Because we just, you know, no matter whose family, there's, it is a challenge. And especially in some cases, these individuals don't even know each other. And then it's also about developing the family tree of the person whose name is on the deed, having to go back and do that research. Um, and once that's done, our lawyers will then, you know, do what they need to do and take it to court. And then last but not least is our land utilization component, which we actually use um, sustainable forestry as a tool. And for our sustainable forestry program, we' are covering 15 counties within South Carolina and we're providing the forestry education, which are the quarterly workshops to which Ms Delane referred earlier. and we're um, we have three foresters on staff. so we're actually providing forestry technical assistance also. And then we're connecting those into those family members or those landowners with uh, professional, foresters. So we have a holistic view of working with land and the individuals who own land. And it is ultimately about not only preserving or holding on to the land, but making sure that you're generating income because ultimately it's really about the next generations. It's not just about you. And the education also,
2: the one of the things that i really really began to understand is how important it is to have uh the the fire breaks and um, other things to to protect your land and have a a management someone who comes in and knows something about trees to determine well there may be a something here we need to do because the trees are getting damaged or you have some infestation and we need to get these trees out and someone who will do that on a regular basis so the the center helped also helped us to determine that and to hire a management company and that has been truly a blessing I don't know anything about trees I I, I admit that and one of the things that that really, really prompted us was someone called and said, I said, you have a nice stand of trees. I would pay you X number of dollars for it. So I said, you know, yeah, we could use a few extra dollars. But I had heard about this place. Maybe we need to check with that first. So my sister's fortunately we all live right here in south carolina and are in communication almost every day so we aren't we aren't scattered all over at least not yet Uh, but our our children are doing a pretty good job of of scattering so we want to get all of this taken care of before it gets to that point Hmm that some people have 100, 150 heirs and nobody knows each other because after a while, they don't come back, Mm -hmm. you know? They have no interest in coming back. They get into their lives and their lifestyles and that's it. And then their children know nothing about this area, so they know nothing about the property or, you know, great-great-grandpa and great-great-grandma and all of that. So anyway... We wanted to do something also to um, see about generating so that the taxes would be paid, so that the fire breaks could be kept up, and um, and learn about it and have somebody who would tell us this needs to be done and when it needs to be done. So yes. you were talking
1: about the timber buyer who approached you. Oh yes,
2: and I met with the forester who was there. Um, the what was Sam at the time.
1: Mm -hmm. He
2: he was there and he said to me when I told him that, he said, don't sell even one pine needle (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) until we look at that. And the way it turned out was this this man was offering us, oh, I can't tell you how much less Mm -hmm. he was offering than the, trees were worth it's almost 10 15 times right what he'd offer you right he and they do that though they they know that you don't know you got a nice stand um 50,000 100,000 sounds pretty good but your stand may be worth Mm 400,000 so and we said we made the statement that he was going to be laughing all the way to the bank
1: (laughs) well and the point about this too is that Airs property owners—they are, they're land rich and cash poor, um, and so because you don't have clear title, then it limits the income that can be generated from this property, and you know people don't realize that in the state of South Carolina, forestry is a twenty billion dollar industry. Right, mm-hmm. and so here it is: these landowners have an asset, if it's the title issues are resolved, they can turn around and, well, with some education and with technical assistance, they can move themselves out of poverty by, as Mr. Lane says, it may be cutting some of the trees, or it may be leasing the land for hunting rights, whatever it is, but it won't really be a handout. These individuals can help themselves move out of poverty.
0: Well, so... Actually, you and your sisters have something of a corporation now. Is that right? Yes, of, we're a, working toward that. Yes. So, so that eventually, even if you have a great nephew living in San Francisco, he through he, one of your sisters, he will know that he had right. Have, or however she decides to leave it, she right. may she may not leave him anything. Well,
2: that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> however, she decides to leave it, but th- but th- it, that also will keep the family tree current. Mm-hmm. Because when my—say, for instance, when when I pass on, my children will know that they have this, and they will be uh, periodically maybe getting a few dollars from it after all of the bills are paid and um, the land is cared for as it should be. And then they can pass that on to their children. And so those children will know, and that would have to be kept up because— this is coming from. Oh, I didn't even. I, oh, I didn't even know I had a great grandfather in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But here it is. I'm getting a few dollars, well, once I, a year or whatever, from from yeah. this.
0: Well, this is a very interesting story about how this is evolving because you're, you're doing trees. Obviously, at one point, your grandfather or your father would have had cotton, cotton, or corn, corn, tobacco. Yeah.
2: I did a lot of that growing up,
0: (laughs) but 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 that's not with multiple generations unless one person has it right and wants to do that right. And as we now know, the last few years have been really hard for cotton farmers in South Carolina. Right. Um,
1: Right.
0: So putting it into trees, as you mentioned, that it's a multi-billion-dollar industry in South Carolina. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's also been proven that people who are receiving some income from their property are less likely to sell it. Um, And that's key because we're getting ready to transfer a lot of land through generations. And for those folk who may not have an attachment to the land, when you get people to see that it's really, it's a business, you're really entering into a business that can generate income from you, but also on the flip side, you are... Preserving the environment.
0: You, you mentioned, Ms. Lane It took two years to get your family situation together. So, is everything all resolved? Up
2: to our yes, to our generation, everything is resolved at this point.
0: And I hope you have told your sisters are going to write wills.
2: Oh, we we've <coughs> done that already.
0: Oh, you've done that already.
2: <laughs> that's done. <that's laughs> well, our our parents um, were progressive, and that particular vein. Well, they're progressive in a lot of areas, but we knew, because my my dad said, okay, um, first thing you do is write a will. Even before they, they passed on, they expected us to have wills.
1: Uh, and their family's not the norm.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, 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 I acknowledge that. But they expect us, even my, my mother's father and he was one of those. He was, he did just very basic reading, and writing. But my mother was a teacher. But he encouraged the education. So my mother became a teacher. And when she started taking care of him, after my grandmother died, she made sure that he had a will, because he had some property also. So that of course, has transcended down to our generation. And I have told my children already, you know, you need to have, especially those one with children, you need to have a will.
0: All right. Ladies, we need to pause a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with Dr. Jenny Stevens and Ms. Marguerite Delane about the Center for Heirs Property Preservation. Dr. Stevens, you talked about the three buckets, and I think we've covered the first bucket, which mm-hmm. is getting the people together to write wills and the education. Mm-hmm. What about the, the resolution?
1: Okay. The resolution is um, the person has been deceased more than the 10 years that al- uh, is allowed by law. And so, you know, we've got Miss Delane here with us today, but really as I said, her family's not the norm. You know, she knew who all the heirs were in her family. They all got along. So that made it easier <laughs> to make it happen. But oftentimes that's not the case. So under the resolution bucket, we're helping families identify the heirs because the lawyers have to document that they have done due diligence in identifying the heirs that may be involved in the case. So if someone's been deceased for 10 years or you haven't seen them in 20 years and maybe they've gotten married, they've had children, it it can be a bit much for a family to gather this information. And so obituaries are very key in helping to pull together the family trees. And as I said earlier, um, agreement is is necessary among the family members um, because we're not gonna our lawyers are not going to take a case to court that could possibly result in the land being sold we want the family members to have already decided what they'd like to do prior to the uh, the court case well
0: you know I'm, I'm just thinking knowing families <laughs> <laughs> I mean Miss Delane and her sisters got along but You know, even when there's not necessarily a legal issue with land, I can tell you families, that just siblings that don't get along.
2: That is true. And then there are some who just decide that I became a volunteer with, because they helped me so much, I became a volunteer with the the center so that I could help pass the word, so to speak. And I have spoken with some people who have relatives who just no, I just want to sell I just want to sell now in years past they could just bring an action and I think the land would all have to would have to be sold or if someone didn't have the money to buy everyone out in in our case especially in the case of African Americans and and in case a lot of other races also where that money is not readily available they don't have the money to buy one out, so that's one of the reasons why you get to they get the land sold, and you see all of these hotels and stores and everything that go going up, and a few years later they're vacant. It's just concrete covering the earth where trees should be, <laughs> greenery should be, but. We, you come in contact with those situations. Uh, I live in New York. I'm not going back down. And you, we hear this statement: I'm not going back down those sticks. I'm not going back down in those mosquitoes. So they just want to sell and get the money out of it. They and, and like I said, well, we've already established that my parents, my parents were different, and we were not the norm. But my my parents taught us. Once you have a piece of land, you have something, you need some money you can borrow. Pay that back, then the next time you can do that again. But if you sell it, you spend the money, and you have nothing. It's gone. Um, Fortunately, I have a daughter-in-law who is very much on the same vein. She says, they're not making any more land, so we need to keep what we've got.
0: Well, let's just do sort of a hypothetical. If you've got that New York relative, how can you resolve this without going to court? Let's just—is there if there's a value on the land, can the other heirs buy him or her out? Or
1: what? Well, actually, we've had a situation, and it wasn't because there was an heir from New York, but um, there was. Well, actually, it was. <laughs> there was an heir from New York, and she wanted to just be compensated for her share. Um, so remember, preservation's in the center name, center's name, and we try to make sure we're holding on to the land. But in this case, we sacrificed four acres so that thirty acres could stay in a family. Um, and so the family decided to give the heir from New York four acres, and they knew she was going to sell it, or they thought she was going to sell it. But this lady, we found now that we've resolved the case. We found out that she's now calling and saying, you know what? I think I'm going to move back down to South Carolina, and I don't think I'm going to sell that property. And I actually might want to hear about this forestry thing you guys are talking about. And I think really because people don't know what their options are, um, that the first response is, oh, we've got to sell it. And that's why education is the primary service the center provides because we want landowners to make informed decisions.
0: That had a happy ending, but sometimes...
1: Yeah, sometimes it doesn't. It and doesn't. and you're right, there is a forced sale. That example that I gave earlier about the Daniel Allen case, all that there were 20-plus heirs and 11 acres of land. We can all do the math. You can't easily divide that. And therefore, the judge did order that the land be sold. Because we can divide money, (laughs) but you can't necessarily divide land like that. And so the family did get some financial um, gain, but the developers who bought the land bought it for around $800,000. With minimal investment, they turned around and sold it for $3 million. So that is wealth that should have remained in that family. If they only had some education about land ownership and they could come to an agreement, they still yet could have had that property that was valued at $3 million.
0: And and that is the case that was reported in the Charleston Papers. Yes. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, I, I think those are the kind of stories that people hear about as development has taken over, the particularly the low country in the last half century, um, whether you're talking about Hilton Head or Fripp or Dafusky portions of Georgetown County, that's what people think about. But they don't think about Clarendon County.
2: Well, that's not exactly true because Lake Marion is there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and in that area, where closer to the lake, uh, uh, development is is alive and well. <laughs> okay. Yes.
0: Is there anybody else in the in the state doing this? I mean, you, you've got your area, which is primarily the low country, spreading in inland a little bit. But what about the folks who live in Lawrence or Aiken or?
1: Well, there is an opportunity for them also now. You, you ask the question, is there another agency that's providing the services that the center provides? The answer is no. There's not an entity like ours that's providing the le- direct legal services along with the forestry technical assistance. However, there is an agency, um, South Carolina Legal Services, which is a statewide agency which can help um, families with their heirs' property also. So that option is out there.
0: But it it, it sounds like you're a one-stop service.
1: Yes, because we look at land ownership from a holistic perspective. You know, when the center first um, began, we weren't resolving title to large tracts of lands. Literally, we were resolving title to a city lot Mm -hmm. because those individuals needed housing repairs and they could not access um, the government funds. You know, the city of Charleston is constantly referring individuals like that to us because they can't get their money out the door and rehab the homes because the individuals don't have a clear title. So for us, we run the gamut from someone with a city lot to 3 400 500 acres. It just depends.
0: Tracking families down how many historians have you got tr- helping to track down family trees?
1: <laughs> well, we don't have any <laughs> historians and I'm and our promises isn't the plug, but we have allowed we have a membership to Ancestry dot com. So we allow our clients to come into our office and um try to fill in the blanks by using Ancestry dot com.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I just was saying because In some counties, we have very good records in South Carolina. Right. And others.
2: Not so much. Not so much.
0: (laughs) Others, we do not. Yes. And then tracking down families, first thing I would go to, if there was an obituary, Mm -hmm. but then I'd also look for the will Mm -hmm. and the deed. And if there's Mm -hmm. not a will, uh, if there's not a family Bible, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: You know where else the next place people go?
0: Hmm.
1: The cemetery. Okay. Why? Because you can see the graves. Right. You can kind of um, looking at last names, and then you can ask family members, you know, who is this? So it's also key that you, you have access to the graveyard. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and of course, in rural communities, the church would have had records, but mm-hmm. a lot of rural churches have gone did, out of existence. Have,
2: yeah. Right. And ha- that did not keep records also. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: This is a story that I think, it's It's not just a local... this is a South kind it's really kind of an American it's, story, yes, as rural America, correct.
1: heirs property is not just a southern issue. It's not even um it's it's not just a black issue. It is about really it's an economic issue. um people who grew up in wealthy families. Uh, they already know that something's going to be passed down to them, either through a trust or whatever, when their family members die. But for poor individuals, you know, oftentimes they don't really see the value in what they own. So they're not thinking about how do I pass this down? And they see land more as a cultural experience or that, you know, this has been in our family forever. I want to hold on to it, but they don't recognize that, as Ms. Delane says, those trees that have been growing on that property are the fact that you can cut those down and replant it. It has value. And and that's how we're trying to get individuals to see, wow, you really do have more than you think you do.
0: Again, it is an economic issue, but if if granddaddies say, well, Denise, I want you to have the house, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you move into the house, you, you know, and it goes down several generations through that without, and you keep paying the taxes, mm-hmm. and the local folks know you, but right. then the point comes where you might want to do something and you don't have a clear title.
2: And the, uh, another thing is that people could at one point come in and build a house and didn't have to have a title to that property so you will find a ho- an entire family and they uh, lots of time they would build mama's here brothers here sisters here and you just build it on that property so parents die or bring mobile homes or bring mobile homes in yes but and then parents die and the whole family's there but they don't have title or they want to find they want to build another house or repair or whatever And they find that they can't do it because they can't get a loan because they don't have a clear title. No one has a title, but it all belonged to Grandpapa so-and-so. And And Grandpapa said, you can all build. You want a piece? You take this one. You take that one.
0: Well, people today, they think, oh, they'll look it up on the Internet or this will take care of that. I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but I don't think younger people really understand how property issues work.
1: You're probably right. I believe that to some extent that is our ancestors' fault because they didn't take the time to share, you know, what it means to own land and how you can, um, you know, you can fully utilize it. And And pass it on. Right. And so we take things for granted. You know, we're talking about the microwave generation. (laughs) Um, Instant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm one
0: of them. We all sound like old fogies ladies. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's also that people now are so mobile. Mm -hmm. Families used to stay in the same area for generations, and in some ways that kind of enables that airing to go on because, well, the Delanes have been living there for generations, and so nobody in the community thought anything different about whether it was— Right. deeded or what have right. you. As people scatter, the question of what happens to that family property... Um, well, it's not just people scattering, but it's also where land
1: um, before they figured out how to kill mosquitoes <laughs> and before <laughs> there was flood insurance, um, a lot of folk weren't making the investment in the land near the coast because your investment was at risk. Mm -hmm. Well, now we do have flood insurance, and we figured out how to kill the mosquitoes. And so land at one time that was considered uh, Mm marshland, no one wanted it. But now you have this beautiful view Mm -hmm. uh, of the water. And so it has become more attractive to other folk. And that's why you really people or landowners need to know what they own because you may see it as, oh, this is where we've lived all of our life and I wanna basically die here. But someone else is looking at it as like, Wow, do you know how many houses we can put over there or how you know, much
2: money we can make off correct. those houses? You know? You have ten acres, gosh, we could take we can make a few million off of that.
0: And that's very tempting to the corporation to become one of the heirs. So Dr. Stevens, let's talk about the history of your organization.
1: Okay. The center actually began as a project of a local community foundation, and that's Coastal Community Foundation, and where the foundation had received a grant from the Ford Foundation, and it was urging urban community foundations to move out and serve rural areas. And when the foundation staff, they went out and started talking in the rural community or holding meetings in the rural communities, they kept hearing, we have land, but. And therefore, the issue of heirs' property, it really sprung up to the uh, foundation's attention. And they pulled together um, heirs' property owners, judges, lawyers, nonprofit service providers and funders and saying, so if we were to fix this, what would it look like? So the center literally started from a a community's vision, and um, so from 2002 to late 2004, we were a project of Coastal Community Foundation. Then in 2005, we actually became our own nonprofit, Um, and really with a limited uh, service area, but now as we've expanded, you know, eventually in a couple of years, hopefully we'll be statewide, but we're, we're trying to... And we started with three staff people, and now we're up to 16. So we, the center is definitely growing because of the demand of the services that individuals have.
0: And how many volunteers like mr. Tulane have you got?
1: Well, we have... Delane is actually one of our what we call our Woodland Community Advocates. When we started the Sustainable Forestry Program, we knew that um, we wanted other individuals in the community to hear um, about our work. And so who better to hear it from than your neighbor? And so we started the Woodland Community Advocate Program, and I think right now we're up to about 40 individuals who are, have either graduated or are currently participating in that program, and they're doing talks, as Ms. Delane does for us, they're scheduling seminars, they're really urging their community to get on board, and don't wait. It's not gonna get any easier to resolve heirs' property. We have, um, I won't call them satellite offices, but in Mm -hmm. uh, Georgetown we go there once a month and the Council of Government allows us to use our space. And then in Beaufort County, uh, we actually, um, the Coastal Community Foundation allows us to use their office. So we are thinking outside of the box and as Ms. Delaney says, we don't want people to have to drive to Charleston. So we're... Currently talking with the Natural Resource Conservation Service so that we may use some space in their offices, and that's a, a, a it, it's a entity of USDA, um, U.S. Department of Ag, so that we can get out and start um, having more people from the community come.
0: To well, us. speaking of the U.S. Agricultural Department, there was a, a story in that you told me before we went on the air mm-hmm. about the uh, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture come to South Carolina.
1: Yes, he did. We actually had the under, well, we had the Assistant Secretary of Civil Rights, and then we had the Under Secretary of Environment, and then finally we had the Secretary himself come down. And that resulted because uh, one of our funders, because um, our sustainable forestry component of the center's work didn't begin until 2013. And it did through a grant from the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities. And they're not a they're a nonprofit. They're not a governmental entity, but they partnered with two uh, departments of USDA. That's the Forest Service and the Natural Resource Conservation Service. So we were afforded the opportunity to share our work through um, with those two departments. And that then helped um they would go back to D.C. and say, hey, you need to come see these people in South Carolina. And
0: there we go. In looking at the story, about a year ago in February 2016, Miss Yvonne Knight-Carter uh, heard about this federal program through the Department of Agriculture, but she was a little bit leery of, you know, what is the federal government going to come in right. and deal with me uh, and my land? She was kind of nervous and concerned.
1: Right, and and that's one of the reasons the U.S. Endowment created the program, or the pilot program, is because, and they actually selected African Americans. So the name of their program was the Sustainable Forestry African American land retention program because they saw how African Americans were losing land and how heirs property was also one of those reasons why they were losing land and the fact that these individuals weren't connecting to the governmental entities or the for-profit agents for-profit companies that could help them manage their forest their forested land properly so Our job or the center's job was to be the lead agency to help create or build relationships with those organizations so they could in turn build relationships with the landowners so that we all know USDA has not had a great reputation for working with uh, African-American
0: especially the Farm Homeless uh, Administration
1: landowners. So what we did at the center is we as I said, we helped build those relationships so that people weren't intimidated about going into uh, the farmer's home office or going into the uh, Natural Resource Conservation Office because they had established relationships with those individuals and um, or our foresters would go with them to those appointments. So we really did help build the bridge between those um, the government, and the people, and that's why Ms. Savon is now one of our um, our star participants. She now trusts them. <laughs>
0: All right, Do- Dr. Stevens, if some of our listeners out there need your services or they know somebody who would, they can go to your website to make the initial contact?
1: They, well, they have two choices. They could go to our website, which is www.heirs.com property.org or they could call our office and that number is 843-745-7055. So even for the individuals who live outside of our service area, as long as their property is in South Carolina, we still will provide them with advice and counsel. Okay.
0: All right. Ladies, I've really enjoyed the last hour, but Alfred's giving me the wind-up signal. Ms. Delane, starting with you, any last words for our listeners before we sign off today?
2: The only thing that I would do, I would like to advise those who have these issues to get busy and get the issues resolved. It's only going to get worse if you don't. Uh, And try to, you're ancestors your forefathers worked very hard
0: to
1: build something for you hold on to it
0: okay and dr stevens
1: i think uh miss delane really summed it up well
0: well dr jenny stevens and miss marguerite delane thanks so much for being with us today on the journal thank you for having having us. This is Walter Edgar and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I found it fascinating. I've always known about heirs' Property, but I did not know about the Center for Heirs' Property Preservation. And in talking with both Dr. Stevens and Miss Delane, we know that this is an issue not just with African Americans in the Lowcountry of South Carolina, but it's really something of a national issue, whether you're dealing with the Appalachian Mountains or lands in the far west. It's a rural issue and it generally involves folks who don't have the means and sometimes don't have the education to know how to protect their interests and those of their families. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETB Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.